Hey, this is Brett Miller with the National Wood Flooring Association here with another episode of Wood Talk Podcast. In today's episode, I'm going to be talking a bit about something that's extremely exciting to our industry, to the National Wood Flooring Association, and to anybody who has been a member of NWFA and uses our installation guidelines. 2020 marks the year that the new version of NWFA guidelines has come out, and the new version is out and should be reaching your mailboxes anytime now. One issue of our updated installation guidelines are hitting every one of our members' main contacts. They are also available for free for download through our website as a member benefit. So why did we have to go through and update our guidelines? I think it's it's important to understand a little bit of the history of what wood flooring installation guidelines actually are. NWFA's probably most valuable resource is our installation guidelines. These guidelines have been around for nearly 40 years and are recognized as the standard for the wood flooring industry. Just a little bit of history about our installation guidelines. The first copywritten version of NWFA's wood floor installation guidelines was in 1988. In 1998, almost a decade later, there was a newer binder format that those guidelines were put into. And that was really the first time that our guidelines were, up until now, how we recognize and view our guidelines. Prior to that, those guidelines were in a spiral-bound soft copy or soft cover um, format. A lot of the information was updated in 1998. Then in 1999, they went from that binder to a, back to a spiral. And then in 2002, back to the binder, three-ring loose-leaf binder format. And the reason they did that, there was a, a purpose for that, and that was so that when they did updates, they could send out a, an individual page and for those of you that go back and remember when NWFA used to send out these updates, the updated pages, and when you have your binder, you pull page 32 out and you replace it with a new page 32 and it has all the updates in there. And that was how they did it. And at the bottom, they would say it was revised on this date. In 2007, committee got together and, and made some revisions to those guidelines. About five years later, in 2012, there were more revisions made. And that brings us up to some minor revisions in 2016, but really the biggest revisions that have happened since the birth of the guidelines in 1988 just happened this year. Rather than just revising the existing guidelines and swapping out loose-leaf papers, we rewrote the entire thing. And we also put them in a format that matched the rest of our tech publications that we've been updating. In 1988, when the guidelines were first put together, they were developed by very prominent figures within our industry who put a lot of time and energy and effort into the development of these guidelines. And to be quite honest, they undertook a task that was probably the most difficult task they could have done, developing everything from scratch. I say from scratch, they did have a basis to build everything off of. The American Parquet Association back then gave the NWFA permission to use their manual, which no longer exists, as a skeleton for ours. So they did have something to work from. But as the individuals that put this together did, and those individuals included Christine Coates and Don Connor 
and Neil Moss as the three primary drivers behind developing these installation guidelines back then. They did an amazing job in putting together something that gave us the ability to grow to where we are today. And our industry really should be grateful that this happened back in the day when it did to, to be able to give us the ability and the platform to do this. And to be quite honest, the NWFA would not likely be who we are today or have the prominence that we do within the industry without those installation guidelines. Back in 1988, those installation guidelines were about 35 pages in total. In 2012, it was almost double that. They were up to 67 pages. Over the years, the guidelines had appendices added, and those appendices included topics that may not have fit in, a, in their own chapter or within the, within the installation guidelines to really allow them to stand on their own. Appendices such as radiant heat, nailing schedules, tar and screeds or screed installation uh, systems. So all of those were added over the years. Aside from that, there were also other technical publications, our technical publication series that were developed to expand on guideline chapters and really dive deeper into the technical resources that are available through our tech guidelines. Those technical publications included publications such as moisture and wood, wood species, tools of the trade, job site evaluation, estimating and preparation, and the grading and packaging tech publication. They were all numbered A100, A200, A300, up to A500. Then we had the B series, which included the sanding and finishing technical publication, the ornamental floors publication, um, and then the C series, which were maintenance and recoding and problems, causes, and cures. Alongside the installation guidelines were developed the sand and finishing guidelines. Those sanding and finishing guidelines went through a series of updates, and in 2016, we completely overhauled and rewrote the sand and finish guidelines. Those sand and finish guidelines exist today as the most current tech publication out there that are, again, recognized on a worldwide scale for proper sanding and finishing methods for wood floors. When we launched that sand and finishing guidelines, the sand and finish technical publication B200 no longer needed to exist. There was at one point technical guideline and a technical publication basically stating the same things. So we combined the two, updated everything to ensure everything was current and accurate and consistent and published one completely accurate technical publication in the sanding and finishing guidelines. So the intention was to do the same with the installation guidelines. Installation guidelines update today has alleviated all of the appendices and allowed us to elaborate chapter by chapter on each method that's involved through the installation process of a wood floor. So I'm going to go through a little bit of some of what's actually changed with these installation guidelines. The last updates, again, minor revisions in 2016, included section 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. Section 1 was the general section, section 2, subfloors, section 3, installation, Section 4 was the appendices, and Section 5 was the glossary. In today's most current installation guidelines, we've actually broken this down into quite a few more sections. We've got an introduction. We get into the health and safety section. We go through installation tools, where we define a lot of the tools that are, that are used in the, in the process of installing wood floors. Uh, we have a section on wood flooring product, just clearly defined 
product of what it is that we're using and, and what it is that is involved within the wood flooring industry. We then elaborated on a section called the involved parties. In the 2012 installation guidelines, we added a small section on the very front of the installation guidelines that defined all of the parties that were involved in the wood flooring process. Felt it was critical to elaborate on that for these updates. And I'm going to go through and read some of the most important parts of what this chapter involves. To me, this is probably one of the most important pieces of this new installation guideline, and that's the involved party section. The guidelines defined in this chapter generally are considered to be typical responsibilities for each involved party within the supply chain. It's important to identify each of the relevant parties along with their specific roles prior to beginning each flooring project. Each party may be referenced by an alternative name or classification and may have more than one designation or may even be called something different from what's defined in this chapter. Defining responsibility will help all involved parties clearly understand their roles in the entire process and assist in minimizing potential future claims. The involved party definitions include manufacturer, specifier, supplier, seller, buyer, builder, installer, and end user each of which plays a specific role in the entire process of specifying, selling, buying, installing, or using a wood floor. So not only did we have the definitions included, but we also went through and added the responsibilities of each one of these parties. And I'm just going to throw out a couple of the key pieces within here that really do define what these guidelines now mean for our industry. However, the way our installation guidelines were written previously really put a lot of the responsibility and a lot of that ownership back on the wood floor installer, where a wood floor installer might be going into a project and unfortunately take ownership of a failure due to something that was completely out of their control. As our industry clearly understands, we teach, we have tech guidelines, and we understand all aspects of wood flooring, and that's what we know. We also know there's a lot of key elements to a properly installed wood floor that rely on a home or a facility that's properly prepared and properly maintained after that floor is in. So when you talk about the installer's responsibilities, the installer needs to make sure that everything is prepared and conducive to what that floor that was sold can achieve and what it's designed to perform in at the time of installation. Prior to that, it is the responsibility of the specifier to ensure that all job site conditions are capable of meeting or exceeding the minimum standards and requirements of the products that are specified for the project. The specified wood floor must coincide with the projected interior climate capabilities of the facility receiving the wood floor. Those interior climate capabilities include the functionality of the HVAC systems, humidification or dehumidification systems, interior and exterior insulation, types of windows, the methods of construction, all of which are and should be known by the specifier as they're designing a product to perform inside those facilities. Obviously taking regional variations and regional differences into account. If the wood floor installation is a part of the scope of the construction project, it is the responsibility of the builder to ensure that all wet work is completed and thoroughly dried prior to the wood flooring being delivered or installed. Building codes establish minimum standards 
but not always best practices. The builder must be aware of the materials being specified within and throughout the home in order to build the building or the structure accordingly. Any additional building costs must be accounted for during the specification and planning phases of construction. It is the responsibility of the builder and or the specifier to ensure that the facility being built is designed and capable of sustaining an environment conducive to the building materials being used in it. The job site must meet or exceed all wood flooring manufacturer requirements and NWFA guidelines prior to wood flooring being specified, delivered, or installed. Now the installer does hold a responsibility and the rest of these guidelines dictate those responsibilities. Those responsibilities do include that the wood floor installer checks the conditions of the job site to ensure that at the time the floor is being installed and delivered that that job site is prepared and, and, and adequate. If it's not, these guidelines don't tell the installer how to fix an improperly built home, but it is the installer's responsibility because installation of a flooring product constitutes acceptance of the materials and the site conditions at the time of installation. So I spoke quite a bit, and honestly, this section of involved parties goes a little bit deeper, and it does go into the responsibilities of more of the parties that are involved, but it is probably the one that sets the stage for the rest of these guidelines, which is why I focused a little bit more time on it. Job site conditions, we jump deeply into exterior climate conditions, the building thermal envelope, interior conditions, and all sorts of simple ways to look at what the job site requirements are. Acclimation and conditioning, we simplified a little bit, but we also expanded by allowing us to talk a little bit more about acclimating and conditioning solid wood versus engineered wood versus parquet and ingrain wood flooring, as well as reclaimed wood flooring. We have a section on moisture testing that was put together through, a, through collaboration with a lot of our meter manufacturers. And then we dive into basements and crawl spaces where we talk quite a bit about uh, building code and their recognition of each type of crawl space that exists. We no longer take responsibility for trying to define something that's outside of our scope. Anything that's in these guidelines has been defined by International Residential Code and is verbatim from that code into this book. So when we reference something, we're referencing something that the builder can recognize as well. We then separated out chapters for substrates. We have a chapter on wood subfloors, a chapter on concrete subfloors, a chapter on wood subfloor systems over concrete, chapter on screeds and sleepers, chapter on radiant heat, a chapter on existing flooring, all as substrates. Each one of these chapters has been elaborated on and gone into depth in collaboration with those outside of our industry that are the true experts on those topics, such as wood subfloors, such as radiant heat, such as the concrete side. We leaned on experts in each one of those fields to help us put together something that, again, can be reused in their side of our industry or in their side of the construction industry to speak the same terminology so that we are all on the same page. We then have a chapter on moisture control underlayments. We have a chapter on sound control and acoustical underlayments. Then we get into the installation process. And just like any one of our training programs, all of what we've done up through 100, page 115 talks about the preparation of the job site prior to installations. 115 pages of pre-installation checking and ensuring that we understand definitions, we understand proper preparation, and what 
the substrate and the facility all require prior to us ever even considering sticking a piece of wood in in a bed of adhesive or nailing it down to that subfloor. From page 116 on, we talk about the installation process. And that installation process, page 116, we start getting into layout where we get into using working lines and tremor points and the 345 method. And when we think about using a wall, installing off of a wall or from the center of the room, as well as using uh, proper use and safety of using lasers. And we then get into the installation methods, nail down method, where we have elaborated quite extensively on the nailing process where I think we hear through the technical site a lot of question and concern is through our prior guidelines we were very vague on glue assisted installation methods and we have a whole section in here on common glue assist installation methods. We have a section on glue down installation, we have a section on floating floor installation, we then get into a section on parquet installation, which includes end grain. Then when we get into the final sections of these guidelines, we talk about protection, care, maintenance, repairs, replacement, and removal. A lot of this stuff has either been in these guidelines, been taught at our schools, or been in other technical publications, but we included everything in this chapter that helps a wood flooring professional know how to maintain the products that are being put in, how to sell that to the end user, and also getting into repair, replacement, and removal. We get into lacing in and lacing out. We get into uh, board replacements of both nail down, glue down, and floating floors. So we have a lot of stuff in here that we've all dealt with, we've all used, we've all assumed for many years, but a lot of the stuff has not been in writing and not been in our tech publications up until now. Our glossary has always been also been completely rewritten. So with all of that, with the installation guidelines, at one point we had an appendix to our installation guidelines that contained about another 40 pages. So our total page count would have been well over 200, close to 230-something pages. What I decided was there's no real reason to have one appendix on something that applies but could really stand alone on its own. So the bonus special gift that you're also going to be receiving this year in 2020, along with the installation guidelines, is a new technical publication. This new technical publication is has been titled as C300. The title of it is Regional Climate Variations. It is a very simple book. It's a 40-page publication. talks about the regional climate variations that we see across the entire world and the impact that those climate variations have on the interior of the home. The climate regions are actually defined through the International Energy Conservation Code and adopted by ASHRAE, who's the American Society of Heating, Refrigeration, and Air Conditioning Engineers. The U.S. Department of Energy pulled together through researchers at the Pacific Northwest National Laboratory with input from Building America team members, specifically a gentleman by the name of Joe Stebrick of Building Science Corporation, who was a reviewer of this information as well as a reviewer of some of what's in our installation guidelines. These maps and information have been adopted by builders, international residential code as well as international commercial code. The definitions were actually pulled together through a lot of research in an effort to create definition and create a standard for which builders could build homes 
and understand what moisture control systems are necessary based on region and what insulation requirements may be necessary based on region as well as construction method. This publication includes the definitions that are recognized worldwide as climate zones. Um, each of these climate zones defined include hot and humid climates, mixed humid, hot and dry, mixed dry, marine, cold, very cold, and sub subarctic or arctic. We've also added maps for not just the United States, not just North America, but the entire world showing the different climate zones throughout the world. And that gets us through page five. The rest of this publication has detailed out the climate zone designations for every county through the entire United States, as well as most of the cities, most of the major cities throughout the world in an effort to give the installer the ability to, to look up and have in this technical publication guidance for, hey, if I'm going to go to another city and install a wood floor, this is what I need to know. Some of our installation guidelines refer to installing per uh, building code, or at least ensuring that the builder, knowing what could be in, involved from an insulation perspective or moisture control perspective that, that could affect the installation method of the wood floor. So just as a general guide and useful information, this new tech publication was also included as a mailing and will be in your mailbox along with the installation guidelines. As always, our technical training, our online university, our certification tests, and our tech call center are all in the process of and have been updated to reflect these updates. If you have any questions, if you have any concerns, please feel free to reach out to us. There are some changes in here that are significant and have drastic differences from what we've had in the past, all of which have been pulled together through using leading experts throughout the industry to help us put this stuff together. So we hope you enjoy it. We hope you appreciate the energy and effort that's gone into it. But more importantly, the ability for our industry to take this giant step forward with a technical guideline that truly gives our industry the resource to move forward, as well as a platform to build from. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll see you next time.